you have your Bibles with you, turn, if you would, to Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34. We are finishing up the book of Exodus, I believe, tonight. I know we have several other chapters. I think we're going to be finishing uh, our last message for now in chapter 34 in the book of Exodus and praying about what to start to do next Sunday night. Pray about that, if you would, for me or with me. Exodus chapter 34. We're looking at all uh, 30 verses uh, this evening and uh, seeing what the Lord have us to learn from this passage of Scripture. The title of the message tonight is Back to the Drawing Board. Back to the Drawing Board. You ever had to do things twice? You ever, if you work with computers, you probably have. Type something out, forget to save it, and you go to do something, next thing you know, you hit a button. And it's gone. And you look back, you think you find it, and you spend the next however long thinking you had it, and it's gone. Uh, so many different instances you, you have to say again. If you're a parent, you've said the same things to your kids probably a thousand times. Uh, turn off the light, brush your teeth, wash your hands. Uh, all these different things you have to say, repetitive uh, we go back to the drawing board in so many areas of life. And tonight, of course, we looked at the fact in the last several weeks how Moses went up to the mount to receive the table, the two tables, the, uh, the commandments from the Lord, the Ten Commandments. And because of Israel's sin, those tables were broken. Remember, uh, he heard the noise of war. It wasn't the noise of war. It was uh, something a whole lot worse. It was a rock concert uh, in the worst, worst sense of the word. And uh, his holy wrath, he threw down those tables and burst them. And uh, there was punishment because of, because of Israel's sin. Let's pray before we continue. Father, we thank you, God, for you tonight. I pray, Lord, you'd help us as we look to your word to understand it, to trust it. And, Father, I thank you, Lord, for teaching us so many lessons. Oftentimes, we have to learn the same lesson over again because we oftentimes haven't learned it the first time. Help us. When we have to go back and learn those lessons, Lord, teach us uh, whatever, in whatever way, whatever means necessary so we can learn. And not only learn it for ourselves, but teach others also. Pray you bless tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Look at Exodus chapter 34 in verse 1. Exodus chapter 34 in verse 1. It says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Hew the two tables of stone like unto the first, and I will write upon these tables the words that were in the first tables, which thou breakest, and be ready in the morning, and come up to the morning unto Mount Sinai, and present thyself there to thee at the top of the mountain. No man shall come up with thee, neither let any man be seen throughout the mount, neither let the flocks nor herds feed before thy mount, the mount. And he hewed two, table, hewed two tables of stone like to the first. And Moses rose up early in the morning and went up to the Mount Sinai as the Lord commanded him and took in his hand the two tables of stone. So we see in Exodus chapter 33, we found Moses asking God to show me the way, as we talked about last time. And we gleaned, of course, through this uh, chapter 33, several insights about what God's way. We, we saw the way of consecration. We saw the way of worship, we saw the way of grace, and we saw the way of mercy, and we concluded that seeking the Lord's way and, and doing everything is, seeking our, excuse me, seeking our own way and doing anything can ruin us. And uh, you've probably experienced that a few times in the Christian life. You know, you, you had a choice to do it God's way and you did it your way. Well, how did that work out for you? Uh, oftentimes, as a, especially when we were, we were in our youth, uh, we we tend to do things our own way. We don't like to listen. Some call, you know some people are stubborn as an old goat at seventeen, or eighteen, or nineteen. Our parents tell us uh, one thing, and we we often do another. And unfortunately, because of those bad decisions, whether it be marriage, our children too soon, or horrible financial decisions, we pay for those sometimes for the rest of our lives. And I meet many people that do. There's a Bible, Bible says in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, there's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And that can be true. So we continue to look through Exodus. We find Moses again spending 40 days and 40 nights with the Lord, walking close to him in fellowship. And God takes Moses back 
people back to the drawing board. They start over again. Notice here the verse 1. The first tables, tables were broken when Moses saw the idolatry of Israel, the golden calf incident. What's the difference between the first time and the second time? The difference between the first set and the second set was the fact the first tables were provided, or tablets, were provided totally by God, and the second set were hooed out by Moses. Why? Because Moses was to repair the loss caused by his actions and fractions involved new duties. God never condemns Moses, but gives him the responsibility of replacing what he ruined. Oftentimes in our lives, infractions lead to new responsibilities, accountabilities. Sometimes if we cheat someone or wrong someone, what are we to do? Make restitution. If we lie, there should be confession of the lie and corrected it. If we slander, retraction of the statement. If there's an insult, an apology for the insult. If they're stealing, there should be replacing of that which is stolen. If there's bitterness, there should be seeking forgiveness for attitudes and actions. Whenever there's a wrong, by the grace of God, we, especially as children of light, should do everything we can to make it right. If you hit, if you hit somebody going down 39th, 39th Avenue, you, don't just go, you, you just don't keep going because you don't want your insurance to go up. Criminals do that. Thieves do that. But citizens, especially Christians... Don't just walk away. But why does insurance go up so much? Because supposedly law-abiding citizens just run away. That's why your insurance went up three or $400 this past term. Because you have a whole lot of people that are really not even documented citizens driving cars they should not be driving. So, what do you do in this situation? In any situation, when it's wrong, make restitution. Making matters right in your life involves going back to the drawing board, admitting there was a wrong, and doing everything in your power to make it right. Why? Because you want to be able to sleep at night. Because the most important thing you can have in this life is a testimony. And that testimony involves a clear conscience. At length, we've talked about clear conscience. Acts chapter 24, verse 16. And here do I, Paul's writing, here do I exercise myself to always, not sometimes, not now and then, but to always a conscience void of offense towards God and towards man. So every day of your life, you ought to seek to do two things and ask yourself two questions. First of all, am I right with God? If I'm not right with God, confess your faults. If I confess my sin, he's faithful and just to forgive my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. Am I right with God? Before you go to bed at night, you should say, you should take a spiritual inventory and bath and say, am I right with God? And if you're not right with God, get right with God. And dear friend, when the Holy Spirit, through the preached word, through the read, through the written word through whatever means God uses pricks your conscience about an area of your life you ought to be quick to get right with God don't 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 get numb to it don't don't, don't say well you know I, I I no don't excuse it don't say well you know it's just a don't say well my sin's not bad as my wife's sin or so and so sin no dear no friend friend if you have, if you struggle with sin, admit it as, as sin and ask God to forgive you. And secondly, if you're struggling with another person, confess your fault to that person. Confess your wrong. The Bible says confess your faults to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. So I ask you tonight, are you right with God and, ask, and are you right with another person? Is there another person in this entire world who could say to you tonight, legitimately, you're not right with me and you've never tried to get right with me? If there is, if there's somebody who you could say who you're not right with, you can't be right with, you can't be right with God and wrong with a person. Now, you, sometimes that person may not forgive you. And sometimes that person may not make restitution or even want to hear you. But you go as far as you can down that road to get right with that person as you can by the grace of God. So making, right, making matters right in, in, 
in your life involves going back to the drawing board. But second, another change in the second tablets was the fact that no man was able to, to be with Moses when he made them. Jo Joshua couldn't be there. Uh, the flocks couldn't be near there. God was going to restore his written law. It was not to be destroyed. The law was important in the life of the believer. And so did Jesus say in Matthew chapter, chapter 5, verse 17, think, that I'm, think not that I've come to destroy the law of the prophets, but I've come but I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. And dear friends, a lot of the law, of course, that we read in the, in the Old Testament, we're not under. Some of those are ceremonial laws. Some of those, thank God, are dietary laws. We're not under any dietary laws you find in the Old Testament. Now, if you want to, I'm not, I'm not saying those are probably not good for us, but I sure do like bacon, and I, I'd be struggling on that one. I, I would struggle on that one really hard, especially after this last weekend. But, you know, we're still under God's moral laws, not for salvation, but for our daily walk in fellowship. We're still not to commit adultery. We're still not to steal. We're still not to lie, to murder, to covet, and commit adultery. All those are still wrong. We're supposed to honor our father and mother, whether we're five or 95. Doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, we're always to honor our father and mother. So as Moses waited on the Lord, God descended in the cloud and met with Moses. He declared himself, God declared himself, proclaiming the name of the Lord to, to proclaim his name. God was revealing himself, his nature, and his character. As we read in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. God was revealing himself again to Moses. You know what, dear friend? God wants to reveal himself to us. He wants a relationship. And that relationship will grow to the extent that you want it to grow. Seek me, he says, and ye shall find me. Call, call unto me. Ask. Seek, and ye shall find. God de desires a relationship with his people, but it will only grow and it will only be to the extent that you want, him, want, him, want it to be. And I've said many times, as you obey the light that God gives you from his revealed word and obey that light, he will give you more light. But if you stop in any, any way obeying the light that he gives you, that relationship will end at that point and he will give you no more light. So the name of Jesus revealed who he was to mankind, our divine Savior. The word Lord here, or Yahweh, was the name of God's relationship with his people. He is compassionate loyal, faithful, forgiving. He is the self-existent one. God's name is special. That's why the third commandment states that his name is not to be taken in vain. The first petition of the Lord's Prayer says, Hallowed be thy name. God's name is very special. That's why it should be used in vain. Proverbs 18, verse 10, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and is safe. Malachi 3.16, Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it. And a book, book of remembrance was written before him, before him for them that feared the Lord and brought thought upon his name. Salvation, there's neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, Acts 4.12. So who is God and what is he like? God declares himself in what he's like. Notice his traits, and I'm thankful for the very traits and characteristics of God. And these are things that you and I can meditate on on a regular basis. I'm thankful for tonight his mercy. Are you glad for his mercy that we did not receive what we deserved? Thank God for his mercy. Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. I'm thankful tonight for his grace. Graciousness is the ground by which God shows his mercy. He's gracious, compassionate. Psalm 86, verse 14, O God, the proud are risen against thee. The assemblies of violent men have sought after my soul. And have not set thee before them, but thou, O Lord, art God, full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering, plenteous in mercy and truth. God is long-suffering. Aren't you glad God is long-suffering with you? Oh, his patience and long-suffering. 
1 Peter 3.20, which sometimes were disobedient. And once the long-suffering God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was, was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. He's patient in long-suffering. There's the provision in long-suffering. 2 Peter 3.15, the account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him that written to you. And there's purpose in long-suffering. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. If you ever meet somebody and says, Well, there are only a few people supposed to be saved, only a select few, you take them to 2 Peter 3 verse 9, and the Bible says, God is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but all that should come to repentance. And dear friend, all means all. And that's, I know that's hard to grasp, but it's true. God, you, you say those folks over there who are wicked doing all those things over in, over in God's strip, God wants them to be saved? Yes, he does. He wants everybody can be saved. And dear friend, anybody can be saved. Anybody can be saved. No matter how wicked you are, no matter how horrid you are, only by the grace of God are we here today and not in a devil's hell. Only by the grace of God. God can save anybody. Many years ago, St. Louis, a lawyer, visited a Christian to transact some business. A lawyer is not always a nice name. Car salesmen and lawyers, a lot of, lot of similarities. And the third place is preachers, I hate to say it. Before the two parted, the client said to him, I've often wanted to ask you a question, but I've been afraid to do so. What do you want to know? Asked the lawyer. The man replied, I've wondered why you are not a Christian. Oh, the man hung his head. He said, I know enough the Bible to realize it says no drunkard can enter the kingdom of God, and you know my weakness. He was a drunkard. You're avoiding my question, continued the believer. Well, truthfully, I can't recall anyone ever explaining to me how to become a Christian, the lawyer said. So picking up a Bible, the believer began to show this lawyer how to be saved. He said, by receiving him as your substitute and redeemer, you can be forgiving. If you're willing to receive Jesus, let's pray together. The lawyer agreed, and there he, 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 he prayed, Oh, Jesus, I am a slave to drink. He admitted he was wrong, and that's the first step. Because a proud person can't get in heaven. You have to be like a little child and admit you're wrong. Lord, I'm a slave to drink. One of your servants has shown me how to be saved. Oh, God, forgive my sins and help me to overcome the power of this terrible habit in my life. He didn't justify it. He didn't say, well, my father's a drunk, my mother's a drunk, my aunt was drunk. He didn't justify it. He admitted his drunkenness was sin and asked Jesus to save him right there this man was converted. What was his name? C.I. Schofield, who God used to write the C.I. Schofield study Bible. Praise God. Praise God. He had to admit he was wrong. But God was long-suffering with him. God was long-suffering with me. God is abundant in his goodness. Another characteristic of God, he's abundant in goodness and truth. Goodness means loving kindness. Isaiah chapter 63, verse 71, I will mention the loving kindness of the Lord and the praises of the Lord according to all the Lord hath bestowed upon me and the great goodness towards the house of Israel, which he had bestowed upon them according to his mercies, according to the multitude of his loving kindness. The word truth means steadfastness, firmness, certainty, righteousness. Psalm 111, 7, the works of thy hands are verity and judgment, all his commandments are sure. Psalm 108, verse 4, for thy mercy is great above the heavens, thy truth reaches unto the clouds. There's two sides of God's character that shine forth in all his dealing with men. In Eden, we are given the promise of a woman's seed coming to bruise the serpent's head. We've seen the severity when Adam and Eve were driven from the Garden of Eden. We see his goodness in the provision of the ark. For Noah and anyone who believed in the Lord's message and severity and seeing the flood. So we see God's goodness in sending two angels to deliver Lot and his severity in destroying Sodom and Gomorrah. So we see his goodness, we see his mercy, we see his grace, but on the other side we see his holiness. 
We see his wrath. We see his justice. God is both. God is both. Psalm 89, 31, 32. If thou break my statutes and keep not my commandments, then I will visit thy transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. Sin twists the cords which pinch us, creates our troubles. It's the gall in our own cup and gravel in our own bread. Sin is a Trojan horse that, in, that we invite in our life that destroys us from within. It is iniquity. What is iniquity? What is iniquity? Actually, God distinguishes iniquity from sin. Psalm 51 and verse 2. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Psalm 51 verse 5. Behold, I was shaped in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Psalm 51 verse 9. Hide me from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Iniquity is doing my own will even though it may be something that is good. It's going down my own path. You see, dear friend, you can do the right thing, a good thing, but it not, might not be God's will. Marriage is a wonderful thing. It's institution of God. But you can marry the wrong person for the wrong people, wrong purpose, at the wrong time, and it not be God's will. Many of you could say amen and owe me to that. You can make a financial purchase which might be perfect when you're 45, but at 25, you probably shouldn't have made that purchase because your credit's been wrecked for 20 years and you wonder why. Well, maybe you shouldn't have made that purchase. Maybe you should have asked four or five folks who have gray hair or hardly no hair about what you should do before you made that purchase. And some of you say amen, and some of you say oh man. We all make decisions in life. Ah, that can hurt us. Iniquity is doing our own thing. But thank God that Jesus Christ saved us, willing to save us from our own iniquity. Isaiah 53, verse 5, he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities, for our willingness to go our own way. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes were healed. Remember Saul? Disobey the Lord and destroy and not destroying all the Amalekites and saving the best animals for sacrifice. And Samuel rebuked him, 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22 and 23. And Samuel said, Have the Lord a great delight in burning offerings and sacrifices, obeying the voice of the Lord? Well, well and you heard, remember Saul's excuse? Well, you know, I just got the sheep. I, you know, it's just the animals. Isn't that good? No, dear friend, any time we're, we're not doing what God wants us to do, it's sin. He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him it is sin. What, is, what does Samuel say? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to hearken to the fat of rams for rebellion, it's just it's a small thing. No. You know what Samuel says? For rebellion as the sin of witchcraft. We're coming into the season of witchcraft. Hallow. For obeying is the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Why did, why did God reject Saul? Because Saul wanted to do it his way. And dear friend, when you and I do things our way, even though it seems right, it looks right, it feels right, how many of a young lady or a young man said to, said to me, Oh, I loved him so much, I just had to marry him. Did you ask God or did you ask your gut? Feelings have destroyed a lot of people's lives. Because, dear friend, yes, a love is a wonderful thing, but a love is not an infatuation. It's a choice. It's a choice choice how are the children affected by the iniquities of their fathers even though children are not responsible for or guilty of their fathers iniquities they are affected by them the iniquities affect our loved ones the iniquity of deception that abraham practiced passed on to his son and grandson with each generation the deception increased in abraham chapter 20 of the book of genesis verse 2 said of sarah's wife she's my sister and abimelech king of Gerar, sent and took sarah well another generation 
Genesis chapter 26, verse 7, the men of the place asked him of his wife, and he said, This is my sister, for he feared to say she is my wife, lest he said the men of the place should kill me for Rebekah because she was fair to look upon. What did Jacob do? What did Isaac do? And Isaac, his father, said unto him, Who art thou? And he said, I am thy son, thy firstborn Esau. So the sin of deception was with Abraham, the sin of deception was with Isaac, and the sin of deception was with Jacob. And some of us, many of us, have generational sins. Some, of, some folks have been, their whole, their whole family is known for immorality. Some, some folks, their whole family is known for drunkenness. Some families, their whole family is known as thieves. But even though your family might be known for any of these things and much more, you don't have to. Because you and I, we have the responsibility to admit our own family's problems and forsake them. You see, friend, when we stand before God, we can, we're not going to pay. We're not. We're not going to be judged for our sin. Thank God for that. But we won't be able to. We won't. We can't say to anyone in this life, "Well, I did those things because my father did it, or because my mother did it, or because my friends did it." No, dear friend. As Christians, we must take personal responsibility for ourselves. That's a very important thing. If your husband, ladies, has a propensity to do evil, it doesn't mean you have to do it. Man, if your wife has a propensity to do something, it doesn't mean you have to do it. If your family... Now, I just came from Kentucky, and you know what goes on in Kentucky. Not all bad, not all bad, but there's a lot of... That stuff goes up there. But we, she's not. Praise God. A lot of times in life, you, some of you live in places that are known for bad things. But you don't have to be that. We choose what we're going to be. The sensuality of David affected his son Solomon and grandson Rehoboam. What we do in moderation as parents, our kids do in excess. So if we say, well, you know, I'm just going to, I'm just going to miss church a little bit. Our, church, our kids will miss church a whole lot. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm just not going to tithe at all where kids won't even show up. Where I won't witness a little, I, kids won't witness at all. Or I'm not going to share the gospel a little, some, our kids won't show up at all. Well, I'm just choosing to be whatever way. What kids see in us, they will typically be worse. So acknowledging our iniquities of our forefathers, children agree with God that they are wrong and are able to deal with them in a scriptural manner by building disciplines that avoid repeating their four steps of action in dealing with the iniquities of our forefathers. As I mentioned, first, identify the precise iniquity that's been passed on to the family members. Secondly, acknowledge your sin and your forefathers' iniquity. Don't excuse them. Thirdly, reclaim lost ground and yield yourself to God. And fourth, cast down Satan's strongholds in your mind. Because a lot of it is mental. We say to ourselves, I'm going to do this because so-and-so did it. That's not an excuse. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, For the weapons of warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Just because others have done it and are doing it doesn't mean you have to. So we see the rewritten tables, tables of the law in verses 1 through 4. The revelation of the Lord in verses 5 through 9. And the renewal of the commission in verses 10 through 17. Let's read that in verse 10. And he said, Behold, I make a new covenant before thy people. I will do marvels such as have not done in all the earth, nor in any nation. All the people among them that are not shall see the work of the Lord, for it is a terrible thing that I will do with thee. Observe thou, thou hast which I command thee this day. Behold, I have driven before thee the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite. Take heed to thyself, lest I make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land whither thou goest, lest it be for a snare in the midst of thee. But ye shall destroy their altars, break down their images, cut down their groves. For thou shalt worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is Jealous God. 
lest I make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they go all whoring after their gods, and do sacrifice unto their gods, and, and one call thee, and, and thou eat of the sacrifice. Verse 16, and thou, and thou take of thy daughters and thy sons, and their daughters go whoring after their gods, and make thy sons go whoring after their gods. Thou shalt make thee no molten gods. What is he saying? Be separate. Be different. You know what the world, you know what God says to us as Christians today? The same thing. Don't be like the world. Don't go after their gods. Don't have to go after the gods of money and possessions and things and stuff. Don't go after that. Don't let the, don't let the temporal things be your gods. Don't let this world and the things of this world destroy you. We see this covenant, verses 10 and 11, and the caution to be separated. Psalm. One, verse one, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the way of scornful. Don't have, don't have fellowship with people who are wicked. You say, well, sometimes you can't help it because you work around the wicked. And sometimes you can't. And all of us have been in those positions. But if you have a choice, don't do it. Don't choose to be around people who use vulgar language. Don't choose to be around gossips. Don't choose to be around liars. Don't choose to be around cheats. Don't choose to be around drunkards. Don't choose it. Because, dear friend, if you choose it before long, you'll be doing it too. You'll be doing it too. Stay away from it. Proverbs 4, 14 and 15, Enter not into the path of the wicked. Go not in the way of the evil man. Avoid it. Pass not by. Turn away from it. Pass away. Proverbs 24, verse 1, Be not thou envious against evil men, neither desire to be with them. New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11, But now I have written to you not to be keep cunning. If any man is called a brother or a fornicator or a covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner, was such a one, such a, for such and one, no, not to eat. What's he saying, preacher? If there's a person in your midst who says he's a brother, and he has a reputation of being someone who's openly immoral, openly covetous, openly an idolater, openly a railer, cursor, saying evil things with their mouth, openly a drunkard, or openly an extortioner. What are you supposed to do? He says, don't even eat with them. He said, preacher, that's pretty hard to do. Yeah, it is. I've told the story, my former pastor had a wonderful brother named Jim. But Jim committed adultery with another man's wife. And what did the preacher do? Say, you know, it had been easy for him to say, well, you know, bygones be bygones. But instead of that, he put his own brother out of the church because the brother would not confess his sin of adultery. And dear friend, it's a horrible thing to do, but sometimes it has to be done. Because God calls us to separate from evil. Yoking up with wicked always leads to, the, to a snare. It brings shame, shame, to, shame to parents. Proverbs 28, verse 7, Whoso keep the law is a wise son, but he that is a companion of righteous, righteous men shameth his father. It leads to the denial of Jesus Christ. In John 18, 17, when the, Then saith the damsel that kept the door unto Peter, Art thou also one of the man's disciples? He saith, I am not. John 18, 25, and Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. They, he said unto him, art, art thou not one of, one of his disciples? He denied it and said, I am not. By our lifestyle, we show whether we are believers or not. Does your lifestyle outside this place we call church show to the world that you're a believer? By your language. By your language. What type of language do you use? You see, friends, we shouldn't just not cuss in church. We shouldn't cuss at all. We shouldn't just steal things that are, shouldn't just not steal things in church. We shouldn't steal at all. We shouldn't just not lie in church. We shouldn't just lie at all. We shouldn't just gossip, not gossip in church. We shouldn't gossip at all. We should not just be tailbearers in church. We shouldn't be tailbearers at all. It's not just the church house is holy. Dear friend, God sees us not just in church, but everywhere. We should live our lives in righteousness. Yoking up with wicked brings shame to our parents, leads to the knowledge of Jesus Christ and is a defilement. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 33, Be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. 
If you're not careful, if we're not careful, we'll act like the wrong crowd. What does the renewal of this commission do? It gives, shows the covenant, the caution, the separation. And thirdly, the character of God. The Lord is a jealous God. He's jealousy, jealously makes his, his jealously makes him a delight to protect us. He's great affection for us. We say it in Zechariah chapter 2, verse 8. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, after the glory has sent me unto this nation, is poured upon you, for he that toucheth you toucheth the apple of his eye. That's why God cares about his people. His people are precious to him. They're the apple of his eye. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 13. The Lord shall go forth as a mighty man. He shall stir up jealousy like a man of war. He shall cry, yea, roar. He shall prevail against his enemy. So we see, we see this evening the rewritten tables of the law, the revelation of the Lord, the renewal of the commission, and the reminder of the feast and the Sabbath in verses 18 through 27. One of the provisions for bringing God's people out of Egypt is found in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 12. He said, Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token upon thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God upon this mountain. So in Exodus here, chapter 34, God makes known his character of that service which required from Israel. The feast of the unleavened bread spoke of God's design and redemption. It was connected with the Passover when God freed his people from Egypt. The feast of unleavened bread spoke of communion and joy as God gathered his redeemed around himself. The Passover provided the sacrifice which the first feast of unleavened bread was based. Christ today is our Passover. We're not putting blood over the over the over the door over our door praise God for that Jesus Christ when he shed his blood did that for us eternally his sacrifice was the final payment for man's sin because of our sins they had which have been paid for we now have a fellowship and a communion with God that we can put our faith in Christ for our salvation first Peter chapter 1 verse 9 with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and with what spot the Feast of Unleavened Bread reminds us of the importance of the purity of the believer. Prior to this feast, all leaven was removed from the house. It was, it was any bit of it was destroyed. We are, the, we are a house or temple of the Holy Spirit as believers. And that's why, just like the unleavened bread was, was destroyed or taken away, we should be sure to look for and see if there's any sin in our life. And we should pray the same prayer that David prayed. Lord, if there be any sin in me, show me if there's any wickedness in me. So is there any leaven in me that shouldn't be in my life? Because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. As we read about in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, in verse 19, What? Know you not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? Which you have of God, which are not your own? For you're bought with the price, therefore glorify your, your God in your body and your spirit, which are God. You say, Preacher, can't I just do what I want and live like I want and then ask God to forgive me? You know what Paul said about that? God forbid. Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. You doing that is no better than the Catholic who sins all day long and all week long and then goes to some small some person in a booth and says, Father, forgive me, and he does the Hail Marys and, and counts the rosemary beads and prays, and the next day goes back to the same thing. Dear friends, sin is not something we should play with. That's something we should play with. Oh, God will forgive me. Oh, God will forgive me. Oh, God will forgive me. No. Yes, he will, but should we continue down that path? No. We see the rewritten tables of the law, the revelation of the Lord, the renewal of the commission, the reminder of feasts and the Sabbaths. And finally this evening, as we close, the return of Moses to the camp in verses 28 through 35. We see the sustaining of Moses. Look at verse 28. Look at verse 28. And he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights needed neither eat bread nor drink water and he wrote upon the tables of the words of the covenant and the ten commandments that's supernatural 40 days and 40 nights uh i think i've gone like eight without eating any food drank water but imagine god had to sustain him had to strengthen him through this time you know what when we go through difficult times we go through problems in life. God becomes closer to us when we, than, ever, than never before. But we have to go through that, that trial, that difficulty, that hurt, that pain. God's presence sustained Moses. He did not eat bread or drink water. We've seen the, not only the standing of Moses, the, the shining of his skin. Look at verse 29. The Bible says it came to pass when Moses came down from the mount, sat down the two tables of the testimony in Moses' hand. 
it came down from the mount that Moses wist not that his skin of his face shone while he talked with him. He did not know. Verse 30, when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, he behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come nigh. Verse 31, Moses called unto them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned with them, and Moses talked with them. And afterward, all the children of Israel came nigh, and they gave them the commandment, and all the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. Until Moses had done to speak with him, he put a veil on his face. And Moses went down before the Lord to speak with him. He took off the veil until he came out, and he came out and spake with the children of Israel that, <clears throat> that which he commanded. Moses didn't know his face was shining. He didn't know that he, even though he had been with the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights, being with the Lord, communing with the Lord, had made such a difference in his life. He descends from this mountain with a radiant countenance because he'd been, been with God. You ever been with, around people, other Christians, and there's just something different about them? There's something different about them. You know, that should be said about every one of us. It's a, it's a beautiful thing when, as a parent, other people say about your kids, there's something different about him, or I appreciate your kids. You're, as a father or mother, you're thankful for that. But you know what? The Father in heaven should be able to say that about all of, his, all of us, his children. They're different. They're, not, they're different from the unsaved neighbor. They're, they're different from the, from the unsaved folks they work with. You know, you're different tomorrow morning because you're not going in with a hangover. You're different tomorrow because you're not complaining all day about your boss. You're different because you're not going to listen to ACDC all day at work tomorrow. You're different. Your music's different. Your attitude different. Your life is different. Everything about you is different. We should be different. And the world sees us and says, well, you're just not like old Joe. You're not just like old Sue. You're different. And that difference by the grace of God, attracts them not to us, but the Christ in us. What are some truths that we can see in this section as we close? No person can enjoy a real fellowship with the Lord without being affected by that fellowship. No person can enjoy, can enjoy a real fellowship with the Lord without being affected by that fellowship. Communion with the Lord will conform us to His image. That's why we must commune with Him on a regular basis. If your doctors told you to take a pill every day, you would do that religiously. God says, read his word, and we do it sporadically. You take that medicine because you want your physical health to be well. Dear friend, partake of this word regularly, so more important than your body, your spiritual self will be well. Partake on it every day. Don't leave a day out. You know, it's like, it's, not, it's, like take, if, it's like not taking a bath after that third day. Somebody should be saying, something, ain't, something don't smell right around here. Especially by July if you've been working out in the sun three or four days. Something, ain't, something, something, something needs to change, like, real quick. Yeah, after I'm cutting grass and working outside, I come in, and my wife, oh, get, shower. Get, shower. It don't take long. So it is spiritually. You ever meet with somebody and you know something, you know, that it, ain't, it, it ain't just a bad day, it's like a bad year? It's like, well, what's, what's wrong? You, 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 you know, your attitude's wrong, your, your language is wrong. It's like, when's the last time you had a real good spiritual bath? Communion with God will change us, conform us to his image. We'll not just be more Christ-like until we walk more frequently and closely with him. The Spirit of God helps us to grow in the men. In the Lord and mature in Christ, as we read in First, Second Corinthians, three and eight, team. But we all, the open face, beholding as in the glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even by the Spirit of the Lord. I heard a story about a man who had a hunting dog, eager to see how he performed. He took him out to track a bear, but as soon as he got in the woods, he got a he got a sniff of a of a of a of a, of a, of a rabbit. Then went down the rabbit trail. Then as he got a sniff of the deer, he went down the deer trail. Then he got a sniff of the bear. He went down the bear trail. Before long, the hunting dog was no use. You know, the same way with a Christian sometimes. We start to get down a path, thinks everything get okay, and we get distracted. Then we get distracted with something else. 
Then we get distracted before, before long with doing this. Then we get distracted before long. Before long, we get confused and we give up and quit. No, dear friend, don't follow anything or anyone but the Lord. Follow Him. Trust in Him. Go the direction He wants you to go. We're like that hunting dog. We get distracted and we get messed up in life. Now, secondly, the second consequence of real communion with God is as is we, we shall be less occupied with our wretched selves. See, if we're communing with God and focusing on Him, we will focus less on ourselves. Psalm 115, verse 1, Not unto us, O Lord, but not unto us, but unto thy name give glory for thy mercy and for thy truth sake. I love the phrase that John the Baptist said. John the Baptist could have been a jealous cousin. He came before Jesus, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, preaching the message of Jesus Christ, a message of repentance. And then when Jesus came at the age of 30 in his ministry, performing miracles, doing all the things, the disciples, many of the disciples of John left John and went to Jesus. And the average person would get mad at Jesus, mad at his cousin. Man, he's getting all the attention. When they came and questioned him, you know what John said? John 3.30, great verse for us to live by. He must increase, but I must decrease. It was about Jesus. It wasn't about John. And dear friend, in this life, it's not about us. It's not about we get a pat on the back. It's not about if we get to add a boy. It's not about you did good. It's about the glory to God. It's all about him. It's not about us. It's not about us. And thirdly, the third effect of communion with God is others will notice your life and the effect of Jesus Christ in your actions and behavior. Your face, your life will show it. Your, la- your face, your life will show it. You're just like that little song that we sang as kids. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. And you'll grow, grow grow and you'll grow 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 read your bible pray every day and you'll grow 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 don't read your bible don't pray every day and you'll shrink 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 and you'll shrink 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 same what happens you say that's a silly song but it's a true statement communion with god you'll grow with god no communion with god you'll get cold you'll get callous you'll get critical before long, you'll be gone. Oh, how many people I've seen that you sit in church, church chairs just like you and sit in church pews just like you. Oh, one time they were serving the Lord. One time they were singing. One time they were praising the Lord. One time they were singing in choirs. Sometimes they were even preaching. But something happened. Bitterness got in. And they got cold towards the word. I quit reading the word. They got cold towards witnessing. Got towards, cold towards giving. The first thing, for, for, before long, they're outside in the world doing nothing for Jesus. Selfishness, selfishness will rob us of joy. We cannot keep company with very long with the Lord without his impression being left upon us. Your life will be a source of conviction to others and their need to walk closer to the Lord. People were afraid of Moses. Why? Because God had been near. I wonder tonight, as you walk this world, are you a signpost to point people to Christ? Or is your life a signpost pointing people away from Christ? When people come near you and talk to you, typically, do they feel like, I'm growing in the Lord, you're helping me be a better person? Or by your life and your language, your attitude, your actions, are you causing people to be far away from God? Dear friend, our actions and our attitude make a difference in life. What we do, how we live, what we say. I think I said it this morning. The decisions we make in life determine the direction of our life. Moses, oh, and and anger and frustration for his people threw down those tablets, but again went back up to the Mount Sinai and got two more, went down and presented them to his people again. Again. 
May God help us if we fail in life to do better the second time. To ask forgiveness. To love other people who sometimes aren't lovely. To encourage others who are going through difficult times. To help people. Because there's folks out there that need help. If you see people, church, that used to come to church in this place, who used to sit in this place, we as a body of believers, Christians, owe it to them to contact them, to help them, to encourage them. If you see somebody going through a difficulty, maybe not even this church, but somebody that you stop by and see in some restaurant or some place, be a help to them, be an encouragement. You never know what somebody else is going through. You never know what somebody else is going through. I'll close, close with this statement, this, this story, excuse me. Dr. James Dobson had spoken in a seminary on the subject of needing of the need for self-esteem or self-encouragement among some men in the ministry. Many of the men had mistaken the idea that preparing for ministry seldom, seldom people studying for the ministry struggle with fear. But a lot, all of us struggle with fear to some degree. One young man was brave enough to admit that he had found himself paralyzed with fear, even though he sincerely desired to help others as he served God. Dr. Dawson spoke openly about this predicament, about this young man and his openness to admit his fear. And he said later on, sitting in the audience, that same day was another student with the same kind of problem, the same fear, the same struggle, but he was not willing to talk about it. He kept it inside he didn't want anybody to think anything different of him, anything bad about him, so he kept it inside. He never identified him in any way, shape, or form. But three weeks later, he says, after I left, he hanged himself in the basement of his apartment. One of the four men who were, who, with whom he lived called from long distance to inform me, Dr. Dobson said, inform me of the tragedy. He stated, deeply shaken, that the dead student's roommates were so unaware of his problems that he hanged there five days before he was missed. Five days before he was missed. They were so occupied with themselves, they did not realize what was going on around them. There's people hurting everywhere. Do we lift up our head? Spend time with God. Get close to him and then see the needs of others around you. Because, dear friend, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and all our mind. But the second is like unto it, that we love our neighbor as ourselves. If we are children of light, that we may have failed in the past, like the children of Israel have failed in the past, may we not continue to fail, but when we do all we can to commune with God, and help others who are hurting around us. Father, we thank you for tonight. Thank you for this important message for the failure in the life of Israel. And all of us, all of us in this room have failed in so many ways. But God, help us not just to continue down the path and say, well, I failed in the past, I'll just keep failing. Or blame the failure on other people. Or blame, the, blame it on society or the or other things. But God, help us to take responsibility for ourselves and our own sins, whether it be personal sins, whether it be public sins. Help us to admit those things and truly commune with you. And after that time of sweet communion, may we look around to see others who are in need as well. For there are many, even in our body of believers, who are in need. Father, do a work that I cannot do tonight. Speak to the hearts of people. With head bowed, eyes closed. If you're here tonight and you don't know.